I'm going to be preaching today about the theme of missions and prayer. And we'll talk about some other things as we go along, but if we could turn to the Word of God, and we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1. So if you could turn there in your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And we'll read just a few verses, beginning with verse uh, 3. And of course, we could actually just read the whole book of Philippians because Paul, throughout the whole book of Philippians, is talking about and sharing his heart for the church in Philippi and the partnership, the unique partnership and love and affection that they share for one another. But in particular, we're going to be talking today about how we partner together, particularly through prayer. And the, if there's anything that I want to really come through today, it's that as you pray and as we pray for each other, God is moving. And it makes a big difference. And I've, I have a little bit of an advantage in that I've been on both sides of this equation. So I've been where Pastor Matt is, on this side of pastoring a local church. And every time I'm in a local church like this, I'm kind of missing that. But now I'm on the other side. I'm on the, in the mission field. And I get to see what an impact your prayers are making. And so the one thing that I really want to emphasize and communicate this morning is that as you pray, God is moving and you are making a difference and lives are being transformed and we are feeling the effect of your prayers. And we want to encourage you to devote yourself even more to praying for the work of God in the world, for your missionaries, for each other, of course, and also to know that we are doing, we're doing the same. Let's uh, look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then I want to read one other verse. If we skip over to, it's actually the end of verse 18 into verse 19, where Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As we start just a little, a little bit more about our work, so really, the, the whole basis of what we are doing in Malawi is, yeah, and we, we say this to people, we're transforming Malawi one life at a time. And of course, what we find in a, in a place like Malawi, and as Cindy said, it's one of the World Bank rates uh, countries according to their material poverty, and routinely Malawi is rated, if not the bottom, uh, the poorest country in the world, one of the one of the five poorest countries in the world. And they have lots of different measurements that they do this by, but it's, it's based on access to you know, clean water, to jobs, to 
agriculture to government to all, all sorts of factors that go into that. But routinely, Malawi is rated as one of, the, one of the poorest countries in the world. And as we often say to people, every system in Malawi is broken, whether it's the healthcare system, the educational system, whether it's the government, because there's a tremendous amount of corruption in the government, the church is broken. Uh, in Malawi, there's a tremendous amount of spiritual confusion in the churches that comes from a prevalence from the prosperity gospel and traditional African beliefs and practices that are still a part of the church. And so the family is broken in Malawi. There's a tremendous absence of fathers. Most families, most of the people that we work with, there's no father in the family. There's just a lot of brokenness in Malawi. And so for us, particularly when we came to Malawi in 2016, we left the pastorate in 2015, and then by the summer of 2016, we were living in Malawi. And we just were overwhelmed with everything. You want to make a difference, but then you look and you say, oh, these problems are just too big. Uh, what are we going to do? And we've always had a conviction in our ministry that we can't fix everything. We can't. We can't do something for everybody, but maybe we can do something for one person. And so we really felt like, uh, had that conviction to say, whoever God puts in front of us, we want to do whatever we can to respond to him, to be obedient to God and to helping that person that he puts in front of us. And uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a story we'll have. We'll have a table outside. It won't be as creative as inter and entertaining as all the other tables out there, but we have a little card on there, and it tells this. It's the story of, uh, it's the story of the star. It's a starfish story. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that story starts out, and it says there's an old man who was walking on the beach one day, and the beach was just covered with thousands and thousands of starfish that had washed in from the tide, but they weren't washing back out, and so unless the starfish were able to somehow get back into the water, they would, they would all die on the beach. And so there's thousands of these starfish, and the old man saw that there was a young boy down the beach he could see, and he was picking up the starfish, and he was throwing them back into the water. And he thought, well, that's, that's kind of crazy. I wonder why that little boy is doing that. And so he went up to him and asked him, he says, well, well, son, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm saving the starfish. And he, he says, but you aren't making any difference. He says, there's too many of them. And at that point, the little boy leaned down and he picked up one of the starfish and he threw it out into the water and he said, but it made a difference to that one. And that's kind of a philosophy, I think, for Cindy and I in, in Malawi, is if we can make a difference for each person that God's in front of us, uh, then that can bring transformation. And so that's really very much describes the ministry that we have. We build relationships, we share the gospel, we disciple, especially young people. We walk alongside them, help them to grow deeper in Christ, help them to know Christ, to come to know Him in a transformational way so that they become truly born again. We help them to grow in their faith. We, we raise up young leaders. We try to identify those young people that we think have those gifts and abilities to be transformational leaders in their homes and in their communities and in their jobs and their schools and in their churches. And then we walk alongside them with, um, with leadership training programs that we have and, and, and that we've developed over our years uh, in Malawi. And we're dreaming of a church plant because there's a need for healthy churches in, in Malawi. And so 
discipleship, making disciples who make disciples, training up leaders that will transform their homes, their communities, their churches, everywhere they go, and planting transformational churches is really our vision for what we do in Malawi. But we do it all in the same way. We do it one person at a time. We enter people's lives, we build relationships, we walk, walk alongside them, we help them to grow in Christ. And so it's a very slow work. But we, I have found, and even when I was pastoring, I found it took me a long time to get that message. A long time. Like way too long. But that the best thing that I could do as a pastor is I could disciple individuals. One person at a time. I always thought there was a shortcut. But what I found is there's no shortcut. You just enter people's lives and you help them to grow deeper in Christ. And so we do this in three different areas. We do it in an urban setting. So there's a kind of an urban ghetto setting uh, where we have our ministry center now in Kowali. It's, it's, a, it's an area of about 200,000 people in that community, but it's annexed to our city of Lolongwe, which is a city of about a million people. And so we have programs where we're trying to make a difference in that community. And we do it through, I said, through disciple making and leadership development, but we also do it in other practical ways through tutoring programs and education. We are planning to start a preschool in that community, that ghetto community this year. And we're excited about the opportunities for that. We will be starting a vocational training program and tailoring programs there in that community as well. So that's one area. And then we work in the refugee camp that Cindy was talking about. 80,000 refugees from Sub-Saharan Africa make their temporary home uh, in Malawi. And it's just the most it's kind of a crazy reality. They come to Malawi, by the way, because they said in Malawi, the Malawians treat them as human beings. They've come from the Congo, mostly from the Congo. They've been to refugee camps in Kenya and Tanzania, but they like to come to Malawi because they're made to feel uh, at least somewhat welcome. But their plight is really quite desperate. And so what you are doing uh, by helping us to purchase sewing machines and get kits for starting the training is going to make a huge difference. Our plan is that this fall we'll be starting a, t a tailoring program for 40 students in the refugee camp. They'll actually be, we're raising money for 20 machines, they'll actually be two classes, a morning class and an afternoon class. They'll, they'll go through these courses and at the end of their training they'll graduate and they'll actually be able to start making money uh, by sewing and making clothes uh, for people and it really is making a, a huge, huge difference. And one of the things that we've found in Malawi over the years is that many pe people in a place like Malawi, they feel like nobody else sees them. Nobody cares. Nobody knows that they exist. And when we can share with them that a church, there's, that there's this church in Pennsylvania that cared enough to pray for you, to provide for sewing machines and kits for you, that makes a big difference. It really does. When you send teams, and I hope that the church will send a, a team to Malawi. We'd love to host a team from, from Lance in Malawi. When you send a team, that makes a difference. And it's not necessarily, it's not so much about what you do when you're in Malawi, it's the fact that you come. And that communicates to Malawians and the people we work with that you really do love and care for them. And not only that you love and care for them, but that communicates to them that God loves and cares for them. And then we work training uh, pastors in a rural setting. We have about five churches now 
in the village settings. Uh, the pastors are, have no training. They came to Christ, they got on fire for God, started sharing the gospel, started gathering people for worship, and boom, churches started meeting. And so they're pastoring these churches, but they have no Bible training. And so one of the things we do is we go to the village and we do uh, Bible training to pastors in those settings. So that's, that's kind of the nature of our ministry. But in every place we go, we do the same thing. We make disciples, we raise up leaders, and we either plant churches or we renew and revitalize churches. So that's kind of the core of our ministry. And then we see what God puts in front of us. What is needed? How can we help people? with their tangible and, and practical needs. But one of the th reasons I was thinking it's so important for what you are doing here with your young people this week, and I was thinking back to this when Cindy was introducing our, our family to you. Our daughter Emily and Bethany as well talked about this, that they were in a church very much like this when visiting missionaries came and were doing programs and talking about what they were doing in different places in the world when they caught a vision for missions. And that's what planted that seed in them, to know there's a world beyond what we experience here and people really do need to, need to know the love of Christ in other places. And when they can hear the stories from other missionaries, when they can meet other missionaries and know that there's a need somewhere else, that really made a difference. So I really want to encourage you with what you're doing. You are making a difference. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't make that appeal to ask you to pray, to pray for workers for the harvest. Uh, we ourselves are looking for team members. Reach Global is looking for people that would be willing to pray about God sending them to the mission field. Uh, many times we think, oh, that would be impossible for me, but our God is a God who deals in the impossible. We never imagined we'd be living in Malawi, and we went on a short-term mission trip, and boom, here we are. Uh, there was a little more that happened in the process than the boom, but that's kind of what happens and how God moves. So I uh, really want to encourage you to continue to plant those seeds of being able to step out of your comfort zones and take a risk for, the, for what God might be, might be wanting to do uh, through you and, and in you. One of the things that I was so struck with as I was studying this passage is, that the, is the nature of how Paul understands his partnership and his relationship, not only with the church in Philippi. I, th I think this is just one example, because we're talking about partnership today about how you are doing the work of partnership with all of your missionaries, and you're making an impact for Christ in the world, and you're making a difference. And we want you to know that that is something that's happening. It's not just something that we say. It's not just something that Pastor Matt says. It's not just something that the missions committee says, and we think, yeah, I'm kind of making a difference. No, you are making a difference by what you're doing, and especially by your praying. And what was so instructive to me was just seeing Paul's heart in this passage as he talks about his relationship with the church at Philippi. Now, in Reach Global, we're responsible for raising our own support, and every Reach Global missionary has to do something that at the beginning we, we all don't like, and it's called MPD. It's called uh, ministry partner development, and at the beginning of that process, we always, in our mind, and even with our lips, we might be saying MPD, but in our mind, we're saying fundraising. You know, we've got to raise support, a certain amount of support to get to the mission field. 
But Reach Global has made a conscious decision to, to, to say it's not just about fundraising. It's about partnership. And as you go about that process, you realize that is what it is. The financial support is just a small part of it. Because one of the things that we realized when we got to the mission fields, how much we craved connection. Connection with local churches. Connection with people that shared our vision back here in the U.S. Connection with people that could pray for us and that we could pray for them. Because the honest truth is that being on the mission field is quite lonely. And you crave that community and that connection. And so we, are, we are, have been looking for people that would want to be an active part of our work. And we're so excited that God has brought us here to Lance to a church that really wants to partner and to be a part of that work. But if you, if you look at Paul's language in these verses, it's really instructive because the first thing he begins with is thanksgiving. He says, I thank my God at every remembrance of you. You see his, his heart. You see that Paul has a, a deep affection for the believers who are at Philippi. And it's not just the believers at Philippi. It's the believers at all the churches that we read about him writing to and whether it's Ephesus or Thessalonica, um, whether it's Colossae, whatever church that he's writing to, you see that impact and you see his deep affection that he has. You see that he has thanksgiving for what he sees God doing in their lives. And you know, to see what God is doing in someone's life, you have to enter into someone's life to see what God is doing. And of course, because Paul was a part of planting the church in Philippi, he was able to see a part of that, to see people grow and deepen and mature. And so as he thinks about that church, he's thinking about them with a tremendous amount of affection and gratitude for what he's seeing in them. Because he sees that they share in his heart. And so he begins with that word of thanksgiving for the church. And then you see his genuine concern that he says. And, and he's, he's assuring them that... You know, in that phrase that's so famous for all of us, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so you see Paul's sense of urgency and his devotion and his affection and his desire for the people of Philippi to grow deeper in Christ. And that's a part of what partnership looks like. Is, it's, is we partner together because we want to see God do something in each other's lives. It's, it's what we, uh, when we're in Malawi, this is the same thing that we have with all of the young people that we work with, all of the pastors, the churches, the refugees that we get to interact with. What are we really wanting? We, we're really wanting to see God do a deep and a powerful work in their lives and to see them find hope in God for each and every day. And, and I do have to tell you that one of the remarkable things that you see when you go into some some areas like this that are very materially poor is you see a remarkable sense of hope and resilience in people. Um, so people that have literally nothing, but they get up every morning and they still work and they still try and they still laugh and they dance and they rejoice and they love their families. You know? And so it's really kind of a, a remarkable kind of a thing. But what do we really want to see? We want to see people be transformed through the power and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live for him uh, deeply each moment of every day. And so that's what Paul is yearning, not only for those that he is now working with, and the same for Cindy and I, we yearn for that to happen in the people we're working with, but we yearn for that to happen in you. 
And what partnership is means is that also you are yearning for that to happen, not only in those that we are working with, but in us. So that together, we're growing deeper in Christ. Because we need each other. And we will need each other more and more in the body of Christ as time, as time goes on. And then you see that he's, Paul genuinely prays for the church. And so all of this actually is I'm preaching to myself because it's talking about what the missionary should be doing for <laughs> the partnering church, right? Giving thanksgiving, yearning for deep transformation and growth in people and praying specifically for people. And look at what it is that Paul prays for. He's, he prays that their love would abound more and more. Love for each other, love for their communities, love for God. Of course, we think of those two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's praying that their love would abound more and more. He's praying for them for holiness in heart and life. That they would walk in obedience to Christ more and more every day. That they would live fully for Christ in the, in the, the daily details of their living. And then he's praying for true spiritual fruit. He's, he's talking about the, the fruit of righteousness in their lives. But, you know, if obedience looks like something to Christ. Obedience to Christ looks like something. And it, it looks like um, doing the works of Christ, the deeds of Christ. Um, and it's what you are doing here in Lance and why you are so needed continually in this community because all around us are people that need Christ. And it doesn't matter whether we're in Lance, Pennsylvania, whether we're in Lake Mills, Iowa, or whether we're in Lalongwe, Malawi, whether you're in Amsterdam, uh, Netherlands, wherever you are, people need Christ. And people we might not even think need Christ will surprise us because they need Christ. And there's so much brokenness. And so he's praying this for the, the church. So we see his affection uh, for them. And that's one of the things that I want us to see today is that that's what partnership looks like. Partnership looks like having affection for one another, yearning for the best in one another, desiring God's goodness in one another. That's what this should be like. And that's what we yearn for, uh, particularly in, in churches and what we're thankful for in you. And then, um, and then Paul realizes his desperate need for prayer. That's really the second thing that we notice through these verses. The first thing is the deep affection that he has for the church. And the, but the second thing is, is he acknowledges for himself his desperate need for prayer. Because it's, it's, he recognizes his desperate need for God to move. And if you look at the situation that Paul finds himself is, he's, he's imprisoned. He's, I'm sure many days, feels that he's alone, he's on his own. He doesn't have the advantage of having a great mission organization like Reach Global standing behind him. He doesn't, of course, he also doesn't have to fill out monthly and quarterly reports for his supervisors, which I'm a little bit jealous about, but uh, he was on his own. And I'm sure there are many times where Paul just struggled and wondered. And in fact, he actually admits to the Philippians, he says, you alone of all the churches have been with me from the beginning. And so you see that sense of, his sense of maybe being alone. He, he is, um, he's facing death and oppression when he's on the road. He has enemies that are trying to seek him, to destroy him. He's also in a spiritual battle, so he, ha he knows that our enemy, the devil, uh, who 
prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, who seeks only to kill and still and destroy, is opposing every work that Paul is seeking to do for, for the sake of Christ. And he, he knows that, that he's in desperate need of courage and strength for his, his health and his hope and the continuing to persevere in his ministry. And, and he knows that all of that is beyond him. That's what he knows. He knows he can't do really any of it. And I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that Cindy and I have learned. You know, I was a pastor for over 30 years, so you would think that I kind of, I've got it down, right? And going to the mission field helped me to realize I know nothing and can do nothing. And that everything that we desire, that we want to see God do, we're not able to do. It requires God's supernatural divine intervention. It's the work that he has to do. And so I, th I think, and I think if we all were to think about our daily lives, we would realize the same thing about ourselves. Is that the more that we try to take control, the more that we try to do the work, the more that we realize we need God to do the work. I always felt in the local church, it says, I know what the local church can be when I do the best job I can do. But I want to see what the local church could be if God does the best job he could do. For Paul, he just recognizes his desperate need for God to move. Which leads him to the, to the second thing, which, which is he has that understanding to know that for God to move, God moves by faith and prayer. God moves by faith and prayer. And he moves by the faith and prayer of many people joined together. And so you even see Paul, and it's a great example to us, that last verse I read to you, you know, what Paul was saying, that this, these things are happening. He has confidence that God is going to move because of your prayers and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's another verse that we could look at at the beginning of of. Uh, of his second letter to the Thessalonians where Paul actually asked them to pray for him. Paul was not afraid to ask people to pray for him because he knew that he needed God's intervention and he knows that God responds to the prayers of his people. And that in order for us to see God really move, we need to be uniting together in prayer. Cindy and I have a very personal and close experience of this through a health crisis that our, our son went through several years ago in Malawi. So very briefly, our son uh, contracted uh, cerebral malaria, which is the deadliest form of malaria. Most people don't recover from cerebral malaria. And on a Friday, he was perfectly healthy playing soccer, and by Monday, he was in, in complete uh, life support at the central hospital in the long way, receiving dialysis. And the nurses were telling us that unless we could get him out of the country to a decent hospital in South Africa, he had no hope of making it. And we were overwhelmed. And we just started to cry out to God, and we started to ask people to pray. Cindy's brilliant with social media, so she started putting out stuff on Facebook and whatever other books she's on. And I started to do the, same, do the same. And you know, at that point, when you have a crisis like that that happens, you, all, all your sense of pride and self-awareness goes out the window. 
All you know is that your son is suffering. And you know that there's not a thing that you can do about it. But you know somebody that can do something about it, and that's God Almighty. And so we began to cry out to God. We asked people to start praying, and we were just amazed. We saw, I mean, literally people all over the world were praying for our son. Um, We would get messages in the middle of the night from, you know, somebody would send us a, a Facebook post from China and say, praying for you from China, from Thailand, from the UK, from Scotland, from India, from South America, all over the world, all over the world, people were praying. And we, we even had a moment there in the hospital where we had all of, our peop- all of the, the community of people we've been building up in Malawi, all of our young people and, and, and our team were gathered in, it was just a beautiful environment because they were all actually gathered in the wait, one of the waiting rooms at the hospital outside of ICU, praying and singing together and asking God to intervene. And I'm so grateful to God because I can report to you today that, that our son Isaiah is completely healed. There's no evidence of any effect of the malaria in his body. And it's something that God did. And there's so many stories that we could tell you about ways that we saw God show up. In fact, we, could, we were able to observe and to see God working in real time. People would show up at the hospital to come and visit us that we'd never met before, but they met a friend of ours somewhere who said, hey, could you stop and see our friends Cindy and Fred who are, who are at the hospital, and they'd come down and see us. I was standing by Isaiah's bed one day, and I, you know how sometimes when you know somebody's standing beside you, you know, it's kind of that weird feeling, and then you, oh, there's somebody beside me. So I was standing at his bed in, in my little hospital gown, and then I felt like somebody was standing next to me. And I look, and there's this big guy in a blue hospital gown, beard on. He turned to me and says, hi, my name is Drew. I'm a friend of your brother Tom's. My brother Tom lives in Cleveland. I says, this is the weirdest thing ever. And it turns out he and his wife were missionaries in Mozambique. His wife was pregnant, but they had a, they had a complication with the pregnancy, so they had to to come to South Africa for treatment. She was doing, recovering well. But my sister-in-law called Drew and said, my brother, my brother and his wife, their son is at the hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa. Could you go and see them? I mean, how does that stuff happen if it isn't God? And if it isn't God's people that are praying? And what God showed us during that time, and we could, I could, we could sit Cindy and I could sit for hours and talk to you about that whole experience, but what we were so overwhelmed with was God's people. We got to see a glimpse of really how big the kingdom of God is. And it's not just official churches, it's all kinds of small groups of believers gathering around the world that are praying. And we saw that there's power in prayer. Churches here that have been supporting us were praying for Isaiah. People that we knew all over the place were praying for him, and it made a difference. It made a difference. It's what saved him, and it's what gave us hope and strength. And so it's all just to say I can surely relate with Paul's desire to have people praying for him. It's the one thing we need the most on the field. If there's, if there's only one thing that you could do for your missionaries, it's pray for them regularly. 
get on your knees before God and cry out to God for, for, for God to work in them, to protect them, to deliver them, to help them, to inspire them, to encourage them. That's what makes the biggest difference in missions. And then, of course, Paul had this urgency. He recognized all of this, and he was not ashamed to boldly ask for prayer and to admit his own vulnerabilities and his own needs. Sometimes we don't share with other people what our needs are, what we need them to pray for, because of our own, we're, we're afraid to be vulnerable with one another. But his conviction was prayer moves God's hand, and he needed people to pray. And this is the greatest thing we can, we can do. Of course, we have that passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. We have the famous verse in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It's the one thing we need to be doing in the church today. It's pray. And then Paul concludes, uh, and I want to conclude by sharing, what is it that we should be praying so these are some of the things. There's 10 things that Paul, uh, don't be afraid. I'm just going to list them. I'm not going to talk in detail about each one. But um, these are the things that Paul requested uh, prayer for. Paul, Paul wanted a true connection. And so he was praying that their hearts would be united in grace. You see, Paul understood that when he was in prison, the Philippian believers were with him. He wasn't alone. So he prayed for a true connection. He prayed for a deepening devotion in the church. That's what Paul was praying for the church, to have a deepening devotion and zeal for God. And that's what we should be praying for each other. But we should also be praying it for your missionaries. And continual praying. He asked them to continue not just to pray once, not just to pray at prayer meetings, but every day to be praying for their missionaries. And so we would just appeal to you, of pray for your missionaries every day. Every day. And then he said he wanted them to pray for holiness of his own heart and life. So Paul is speaking and he's asking the church, pray for me that I would walk in holiness of heart and life, that I would be obedient to Christ, that I would grow deeper in Christ. Um, and Philippians, particularly in, in the end, rest of chapter 1, talks so eloquently about that. He asked them to pray that the gospel would advance because Paul knows, knows that it's only by the, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that the gospel advances through the power of His Word. And so he was praying for the, the gospel's advance. And he asked them to pray for workers for the kingdom. Jesus himself says this to his disciples. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into the field. And then he asks them to be the answer to that prayer, which is something we always have to be aware of when we're praying, that God may ask us to be the answers of the prayers that we're praying. But we should be praying for workers of the kingdom, for the kingdom. And we are looking for workers for the kingdom. And I would ask you to pray for that. Pray for that for your church, that God would raise up from this church missionaries, young people that have been a part of your program this week, that God would raise up some of those young people to be sent to the mission field, to be sent to be evangelists and missionaries and, and gospel workers, to take the gospel to those who are in need, to raise up missionaries for our own country here. Hallelujah. 
We need people here. Sorry, an African thing just came out of me, the hallelujah thing. So, <laughs> um, so praying for workers for the kingdom. Pray for the devil to be vanquished. We are in a spiritual battle. We feel that each and every day. You are in a spiritual battle here. You may not feel it every day, but you are in a spiritual battle. The devil is opposing the work that you're doing. But we serve a God who is greater than the devil. Amen? So we need to be crying out to God. And so we want to pray that the devil is vanquished, that the enemies of God's work will be foiled, and that the kingdom of God will continue to advance and move forward. And then um, he says, pray for perseverance during suffering. Suffering is a reality of the Christian life. Paul tells to Timothy of, that anyone who truly is obeying the word of God, anybody who is truly born again will face persecution. All of us will face it. We particularly face it on the mission field because we're in this intense spiritual battle. In Malawi, we face, we face uh, incredible challenges be, there's, a, there's a reality of, of belief in witchcraft. Uh, we see that the devil is active and working in people's lives through deception, through heresy and false teaching, and, and all kinds of other kinds of things that we see the enemy is doing. But we know that our God is greater than that. And so we want to pray that God would vanquish the, wor the, the work of the enemy and that he would allow us to be able to persevere and stand in times of suffering and difficulty. And, and so this is what we're called to be able to do. Because we are going to come up against those circumstances when we face difficulties and we have no idea what we're going to do or how we're going to make it through it. But when we know that we are praying together now, continually, that we will persevere when those times come, then we know that we will make it. And he asked them to pray for a shared vision. The, because he saw them as partnering in the work of, of the gospel. And so everything that Paul was seeking to do where he was on the mission field are the things that he was yearning that God would do for you here in the local church, in this community. Everything that you would pray for that you want God to do in other places in the world where you're praying for, I think we want God to do here. Amen? We want to see God move. We want to see lives changed. We want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people set on fire for God. We want to see leaders transformed. We want to see, we want to see uh, men lead their families in transformational ways here in this community. We want to see young people raised to, to know and love God with all of their heart. All these things. We want to see marriages healed. Hallelujah. And lives changed. And, and so whether it's there... Or here, it's a shared vision uh, that we have. But Paul knew and he was convinced that this one thing is what we needed the most. And it's the thing that I think that God has been impressing on me and in particularly over the last few months. That this is the thing. This is the thing that we can do that will make the biggest difference. Because what happens is then as we pray as we devote ourselves to prayer, as we unite ourselves in prayer, then God stirs in us the desire to do other things. He stirs in us the desire to go. 
He stirs in us the desire to give. He stirs in us the desire to serve. He stirs in us the desire to pray. But it all begins with us praying, praying together. Amen?